Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hey, everyone. Thank you for listening to Missing on the Crawl Space Media Network. If you like this show, you will love Crawl Space, which is also hosted by us. We launched Crawl Space in 2017, and we have a huge catalog of incredible and thought-provoking interviews. Check out our entire network of shows at crawlspace-media.com. On February 9th of 2004, 21-year-old UMass Amherst student Maura Murray disappeared in the White Mountains of New Hampshire in one of the most perplexing mysteries of our time. For years, we have covered Maura's case and the tireless online community that surrounds it in great detail. We have since expanded our mission with this series, raising awareness and shining a light on the stories of other missing persons. We now sit on the board of directors of the nonprofit organization Private Investigations for the Missing, which was founded by Bruce Maitland. Bruce's daughter, Brianna Maitland, went missing from Montgomery, Vermont on March 19th of 2004, just six weeks after and about 80 miles away from where Maura Murray vanished. Private Investigations for the Missing aims to assist with investigations for underserved families whose missing loved ones have been forgotten by the media or by law enforcement. Through our growing community, we hope to shed a light on these cold cases. Families and loved ones can reach out to us at investigationsforthemissing.org. This is Missing. Welcome back to Missing. I'm Tim here today with Lance. Lance, how are you today? I'm doing so well today, Tim. How are you? I am doing great. Today, Lance, we speak with our friend, our coworker, Jennifer Amell, and we're talking about the disappearance of Nikki McCown. That's correct. The disappearance of Nikki McCown came to us by way of private investigations for the missing. Big shout out to Jen. Big shout out to Shayna 
who put together this research document on Marilyn Renee Nicole McCown, also known as Nikki, and that's N-I-Q-U-I, who has been missing since July 22nd, 2001. And Tim, this one starts taking all sorts of turns Seemingly a, a driven individual, Nikki McCown was. She was a corrections officer. She wanted to be an FBI agent, a single mom, really close relationship with her daughter. And then she disappears almost literally out of the blue. Yeah, right before her wedding. She went missing from Richmond, Indiana. She was 28 years old at the time of her disappearance. She'd be 48 at the time of this recording. And she was 5'2", 115 pounds, and a light-skinned black woman with light brown hair and brown eyes. All right, everybody, follow us on social media at MissingCSM. And what you're about to hear is part one of our initial coverage on Nikki McCown's disappearance. We will follow up with part two and some of the people in her life who have some suspicion cast upon them. Welcome back to Missing. We are being joined today by Jennifer Mel. Jennifer, we are discussing the disappearance of Marilyn Renee Nicole McCown. How are you today? I'm doing very well. How are you guys doing? Can't complain. Really looking forward to getting into this missing person story. And this was put together by a new researcher, a new volunteer for private investigations for the missing. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yes, her name is Shana Wilinski, and uh, she's been helping out Josh Hallmark of True Crime Bullshit investigate and research some of the cases related to Israel Keys. So she's well-versed in these deep dives, and she's so graciously volunteered her time to help out with private investigations for missing and uh, doing another deep dive into this case today. Great. Thanks a lot. And big thanks to Shana. This document is great. And we met Shana um, last week, actually, in Saratoga Springs at the event, Lance, the uh, true crime night there in Saratoga. So that was really great to get to actually meet her and speak to her a little bit about this case. Yeah, we were also there with Josh Hallmark uh, at Putnam Place. It was a great time. Uh, We'll probably be doing another event there in the next few months, I imagine, just because the turnout was really good. There was a lot of good energy, and it was just great to be out and and talk with like-minded people. You uh, were saying that she did research for Josh Hallmark, and it's so apparent, because we know how researched and detailed he is, it's so apparent that she works with him when you look at this document that we're about to dig into. It is so thorough and so comprehensive. And I think I had about a two-hour interview with Nikki's sister, Michelle, and she reviewed that material too, took it all into account, pieced together the story in a very uh, riveting way, I would say, guys. I would say so. So thanks, Shana, and uh, thanks, Michelle, for spending some time uh, speaking with you, Jen. And uh, I think it would be great to hear some of her insight as we go through this document. Okay, so let's get into it. Nikki McCown has been missing since July 22nd, 2001, and she went missing from Richmond, Indiana. She was 28 years old when she went missing, and she would be 48 at the time of this recording. Her birthday is January 6th, 1973. At the time of her disappearance, she was 5 foot 2 inches, 115 pounds, and she is a light-skinned black female 
with light brown hair and brown eyes. Her nickname is Nikki. She had a small scar above her left eye, a small scar on the right side of her face, a scar on the top of her head, and a large scar on her left lower leg. When she disappeared, she was last seen wearing a bright pink and purple floral swimsuit top, dark colored shorts, diamond earrings, and a white gold bracelet. I'll get a little bit into the background of Nikki. Described as a beautiful, ambitious, and incredibly independent 28-year-old single mother from Richmond, Indiana. She was the youngest of 10 children, and Nikki, that's spelled N-I-Q-U-I, was very close to her parents and siblings. Sounds like she had a pretty tight-knit family. Uh, I don't know if uh, Michelle had mentioned that to you, Jen, um, about just the family dynamic. Yeah, I mean, she she described quite the same thing that you you just said. Uh, she and her sister were super close, and uh, she related a story in which her mother was actually on her deathbed, and she asked Michelle to keep fighting for the truth to what happened to their sister and daughter. My mom passed away last year. She passed away on July twenty first. Nikki's anniversary is July 22nd. My mom tried to hold on for her. She tried to hold on for her daughter, but she couldn't because she had cancer eating her body. My dad passed away just three and a half years after Nikki came up missing. He grieved himself to death. Nikki's daughter. For the longest time, she hated the word mother. She hated Mother's Day. This has tore my family apart. I myself had strokes. I've been sick, but I won't stop fighting. Somebody out there knows what happened to my sister and why she's missing and why her daughter had to grow up without her. And now her granddaughter will never know her. And for whatever selfish reason, they're allowing my family to fade away and suffer not knowing. That gives me every reason to continue this fight. I have family members to tell me to shut up, leave it alone, leave it alone. I can't leave this alone. If it was me, Nikki would be fighting, fighting, fighting until she got an answer. She was that type of person. And I can't stop fighting. I won't stop fighting. I will be her voice until we have an answer. And Nikki worked just over the state line in Dayton, Ohio, at the Montgomery Education and Pre-Release Center. She began her career there as a corrections officer and worked her way up to the accounting department. And she was also a member of the facility's hostage negotiation team. Badass. So she achieved a lot in a very short amount of time, it seems. Her family members said she loved her job and she was continuing her education at a local community college with the goal of either becoming a U.S. marshal or an FBI agent. You're talking about somebody in their mid-20s doing that. That is, like you said, Tim, badass. And she was a mom to a nine-year-old daughter named Peyton as well. Also had a very close relationship. And Nikki was engaged to her high school sweetheart named Robert Bobby Webster. 
They had dated all through high school but broke up when Bobby moved to California, and they rekindled their relationship a few years before Nikki disappeared. And Bobby was not Peyton's father. Peyton's father was Nikki's ex-boyfriend, Stephen, but the exes remained on relatively good terms and continued to co-parent Peyton. So here we can get into a little bit of the narrative of her disappearance. On July 22nd, 2001, that was the day that Nikki disappeared, her and Bobby attended church before they separated for their day. Apparently their wedding was only three weeks away. Bobby and his best man went for a fitting at a tuxedo shop while Nikki went to a local laundromat. Since her parents lived nearby, they watched Peyton while Nikki did her laundry. While she waited for her laundry, Nikki went back to her parents' house. She told her mom that she was uncomfortable waiting at the laundromat as there were two Hispanic men who were harassing her. Yeah, uh, there was a couple stories from this laundromat. Uh, Apparently, it was one that Nikki would frequent to do her laundry. um, And she had experienced uh, a couple incidents of harassment. One was by a white man that she, she didn't know his name or his identity. And then we have these two Hispanic men both of which are unidentified to this point. And each of these moments of harassment were at the laundromat? Yeah, I think um, it was probably sexual in nature. I mean, Nikki was a really beautiful woman, and I'm sure she had to deal with a lot of that kind of harassment on a day-to-day basis. Um, But these are like three separate men who had harassed her at this very location. And her mother, when hearing that, told her to bring her clothes over there and finish laundry there. And so Nikki left to get her laundry, but never returned. And she was supposed to meet Bobby at home when he returned at about 4.30 that afternoon, but she wasn't there. What my mom tells us is that Nikki came to her house right after she put her laundry in the wash and came to her house and she was pacing back and forth. And she gets the phone a couple of times and mom said, girl, what's wrong with you? Can't stand still. And she said that he won't leave me alone. And she said, who? And then she had told her some Hispanic guys at the laundromat. And she said, if you're that concerned, go get your things and come back. But she never came back. So mom assumed that everything was okay, that she She maybe got her clothes and then went on home. So to recap real quick, she went to the laundromat, started doing her laundry, was harassed by these two men. She went home and told her mother about the harassment. Her mother said, well, why don't you go get the clothes, bring them back here and finish. And she left to go retrieve her laundry and she never came back. And she was supposed to meet Bobby at 430 that evening, that early evening at their house. Knowing Nikki loved to shop and wanting their wedding to be perfect, Bobby assumes she lost track of time running wedding errands. By 5.30, Bobby tries calling her and gets no response. The entire family is alarmed when they learn Bobby is looking for her and she has still not come back to pick up her daughter. Some sources say Nikki's purse and ID were left behind at home, but Nikki's sister says that's not accurate. Michelle, Nikki's sister, says that this was reported inaccurately, that she had actually taken her purse and ID with her um, on her journey to the laundromat, but she had left some medication that she needed on a daily basis at home, as well as a wedding band. So Nikki's family and Bobby, they call around looking for her, and when she's not found by later in the evening, they file a missing person report. 
which they're told at that point to wait 72 hours because Nikki is an adult who can disappear if she wants to. That's a story that we hear a lot. And this seemed to come together pretty quick as far as something's not right. Uh, she's late. She's very late. She's not coming home. Uh, and her medication is 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 not on her person that she needs. So you see that there would be some um, suspicion and some cause of alarm that could be raised with the family. So I'm I'm impressed by the quickness in which they filed the missing person report and didn't just assume that she was, you know, maybe catching a movie with a friend or something. Yeah. And additionally, um, Nikki was a really responsible person and she had left her daughter behind at her mother's house, I believe. Um, and she wasn't the type of person who would just like skip out for even a few hours beyond when she said she would come back. I mean, she was devoted to her daughter and would not leave her. And since Nikki never missed work, her sister looks for her the next morning when Nikki was due to start her shift at the correctional facility. Her family felt that something terrible had happened when they found out that she had not shown up for work. And it's noted here, unfortunately, uh, in the initial days of the investigation, police did not take Nikki's disappearance very seriously. And they are attributing that to the fact that Nikki was a black woman who disappeared in a rough neighborhood. And her sister wonders if this had something to do with why her disappearance was not taken seriously at first. That's, again, another story that we hear all the time. And her family knew that something terrible had happened when they found out she had not shown up for work because, like Tim just said, she never missed work. So did you speak with uh, Michelle uh, some uh, about that, the, the fact that it wasn't taken seriously uh, right from the get-go uh, with law enforcement? Yeah, it seems. I mean, Michelle definitely noted that the police were slow to act even though the family told the police that, you know, everything that had happened was out of the ordinary for Nikki and that her personality was one that she just wouldn't take off for any reason without notifying somebody, especially because her daughter, again, was at her mother's house and she cared for her daughter. Um, And additionally, she took her job very seriously. She would not miss work and not call out or otherwise notify them. And so immediately, family, friends, and coworkers sprang into action to try and find Nikki. Local businesses printed up free flyers for them, and everyone pitched in. And it was strongly believed then that Nikki did not willingly disappear. She was very excited for her upcoming wedding, and she just, her family and friends did not think she would ever leave her daughter. So the location is interesting to me. The laundromat where Nikki had gone that day, According to this document, they did not have working surveillance cameras, uh, but a convenience store across the street did. And apparently there's actual footage of Nikki in in that store. If I remember correctly, Michelle mentioned that there was something caught on this uh, surveillance footage from the convenience store that shows Nikki. So there's a convenience store down the street. So we went over there and they had her on video maybe between two and three o'clock where she's like getting change or giving change to them. Then she's coming out of the door and she turns, I think she turns like left or something like she had parked to the left towards the left or something. And there's a man that peeks his head in and then just pulls his head back real fast and turns the same way as she did. Whether this has anything to do with her disappearance, they're not sure, but it did seem to be like a little bit of a strange behavior. But again, you're looking at this through the context of like, this person is missing. So you're going to look at anybody's actions as suspicious. So this 
this person in the in the video footage is not necessarily a suspect. But there were people at the laundromat who had seen Nikki there and they didn't really see anything suspicious between her interaction with the two Hispanic men. Is that correct? I mean, other than the fact that they were harassing her, they weren't seen following her out of the laundromat, though. And three and a half months go by with no clues until the car Nikki had been driving was found about 45 minutes away in Dayton, Ohio. And this was actually her fiance Bobby's car, but he and Nikki had traded vehicles for the day. And it was found in the parking lot of the apartment complex where Peyton's father, Stephen, lives. Okay, so that's that's interesting. And Nikki and Bobby had also previously lived there, according to Michelle, her sister. Nikki had kept this address on her driver's license since they needed an Ohio address to be able to work in Ohio. Okay, that, that all makes sense. The door to the car was ajar, and Nikki's laundry was folded in the baskets in the back. Jen, what's what did Michelle mention anything of this? Because it seems like the plot is thickening here. It sure is. Um, yeah, I mean, there could be multiple explanations why her car would have ended up in this apartment complex across state lines in Dayton. I mean, her job was there. Again, we we noted that Stephen, her ex, and Peyton's father lived there as well, which is, I mean, cast suspicion on Stephen too. But as we go on, we'll we'll learn that she might have had another reason for visiting Dayton that day. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. And how far away was this? About uh, 45 minutes away? Yeah, that's about how long it would take to drive from uh, from the laundromat. Yeah, so not one of those sort of random... Uh possibly you abduct the car or you take the car and drop it over state lines kind of thing? Because this was driven like an extra 35 miles past state lines or or 30 miles past the border. Yeah, it's not like the car was dropped in a random location. This was a an apartment complex that was tied to Nikki. It was, in fact, on her driver's license. So whether Nikki had driven the car there herself or if somebody had looked at her address on the license and placed the car there, or they were trying to frame Stephen, who lived there, or Stephen himself had something to do with it. And the seat position in the car looked appropriate for someone of Nikki's height, meaning it is possible that she drove there herself. I would suggest that her laundry being safely in the back would suggest that as well. But the lock had been punched out and the radio was missing. And, of course, the door was left ajar. So those things sound like, oh, it was stolen and dumped. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of a chicken or the egg thing. Like, was it stolen and dumped or was the car placed there? And then because it was abandoned, some people um, robbed the car, like when it was at the apartment complex. Right. And police uh, suspect the car had not been there the entire time, as it likely would have been noticed earlier, would have been found earlier. I would assume that Peyton's father, Stephen, would have noticed it in the interim. I'm sure he would have. Um, I think there are a couple of reports from people who lived in that complex who saw uh, two black men around the car kind of looking in it suspiciously, like they were 
going to potentially steal something. Maybe that was when they punched out the locks and stole the radio. So the theft of the parts in the car doesn't necessarily have anything to do with Nikki's disappearance. Well, before we get into the suspects, I just want to revisit the uh, laundry folded in the back seat. Has it occurred to anyone in the family or any law enforcement or anyone looking into this that she had gone back to the laundromat, her laundry was done, she folded it and then walked out to her car, put it in the back, and that's where she met with somebody who might have tried to uh, abduct her. And maybe she was driving the car. Maybe she was driving the car at knife point or gunpoint. Definitely a possibility. And Stephen says, and there's a quote here, if I was smarter, she'd still be here and we would still be together. I wasn't good to her. I wasn't at all. I cheated. I was abusive. End quote. And there's a note here that says he seems sincerely remorseful about his past behavior. Yeah. I mean, Michelle had a lot to say about their relationship, too. I mean, it was it was unfortunately abusive when they were together. I mean, Stephen himself in that quote sort of admits to to that abuse but they had been on pretty good terms in the last couple of years like since they their relationship had sort of disintegrated um and she had gotten together with her high school sweetheart bobby um they still had to raise their daughter together and it seemed like they were working things out and his relationship with uh the police when he was questioned seems to be pretty cooperative uh he passed the polygraph and also gave dna and police are satisfied that Stephen was not involved in Nikki's disappearance. And that, coupled with the comments that he made, his acknowledgement that he wasn't uh, a good boyfriend and he wasn't uh, good to her and he cheated and he was abusive, that does strike me as somebody who probably is not involved with this. It's good to note, but again, the police and Nikki's family don't believe that he was involved because he kind of reacted to the whole uh, situation the way you would think you would react if you were innocent. It's like, yeah, do whatever you need. Like, I'll take the polygraph. I'll give you DNA, whatever you need to clear my name so you can like get on with this investigation, you know? So if the police don't suspect him, then they would have to suspect that someone put the car there or potentially tried to stage the car by putting it there, cast suspicion on Steven. Yeah, I mean, if, if you were known to be in a, like abusive situation with a prior relationship and you had a child together that puts motive there so perhaps he was framed by somebody by staging the car there it's actually kind of fascinating to think about the distance that the car went and then was found at this apartment complex even if someone was looking at her license and decided to drive it out there to make it look like she had you know driven home or something and she had just been there the whole time that's quite a distance to go um i'm wondering if that person would then jump on a bus and head back or maybe have a friend pick them up or something it's not like right around the corner that's almost an hour and where was the car where was the car before yeah exactly it seems like very deliberate that the car was placed there Definitely. And uh, it doesn't really seem like a random car theft either. I, you know, I don't know, but I, I feel like most car thieves don't uh, don't return the car to uh, the location on the license. Yeah, definitely not. Um, if it was just a car theft, obviously the car would be missing and probably not Nikki Maybe the other way around. And then Robert Bobby Webster. Bobby was Nikki's fiance and former high school sweetheart. He says Nikki knew him inside and out. When interviewed 17 years later, Bobby smiled at memories of Nikki. His feelings for her seemed genuine. 
Although he's been described by family members as controlling and a player, is that accurate, Jen? Yeah, I don't I don't think uh Nikki's family has too fond feelings for Bobby. Um they didn't say that their relationship was particularly contentious at all. I mean, they dated in high school, but had broken up because it was a young relationship. And I think Bobby had uh, designs to move out west to California um, with another girlfriend of his, which we'll touch on later. But I also don't think Bobby's family liked Nikki that much either. So like there was a there was not a whole lot of good feelings going on between the families, like with this impending wedding. But Bobby is the first one to ring the alarm on Nikki's disappearance. He contacted her family when she was about an hour late in meeting him at their apartment after his trip to the tuxedo shop. And Michelle says he was incredibly upset and insisted that something was wrong, even though family was not yet concerned and assumed she had just got caught up running her errands. So is this suspicious? I mean, it's hard to say because if Nikki indeed was a, was a person who like wouldn't be late, to things and like kept her responsibilities sacred i can understand raising the alarm like if she doesn't show up in an hour an hour after she's supposed to um then again um we've definitely encountered situations where people are like super preemptive about um ringing the so-called alarm and it is suspicious so you go either way on this one So even though Bobby was this upset, he did not want to file a missing persons report that evening. And it was Nikki's father who was the one that insisted and family members had to help Bobby fill out the paperwork. Uh, Is that suspicious? Again, uh, not sure. I mean, if I were to place myself in this situation, like, of course, I'm very worried Um, But the act of like reporting it to law enforcement somehow makes it more real or like concretizes the fact that like someone you love is missing. So I get the hesitation there. It's like every part of you, I imagine, wants to believe that that, um, you know, your loved one is just like late or got, you know, held up doing something or like you said, um, at the movies or whatever. So it could have just been him wanting to pretend for a little while longer. Does that make sense? Sure. Yeah, absolutely. It's like you said, it's it suddenly makes it real. And even though you're worried now, it's, you're officially worried and it's officially on record. Yeah, it jumps up an extra level, I think, at that point. But Bobby's actions in the following days were a bit strange. He returned their wedding rings to the jewelry store for money and attempted to cancel Nikki's college tuition for a refund. And he was not able to get a refund on her tuition because it was paid through her job. But Bobby also canceled their upcoming wedding. Yeah. So these are, I think, the most suspicious actions on Bobby's part. I mean, it was pretty soon after her disappearance that he did all these things, tried to get the money, pawned the ring, canceled the wedding. Why? What did he say about it? I mean, he said that he needed the money to, like, help search for Nikki. He needed a cell phone to, like, make calls and stuff. He didn't have a cell phone before that. Remember, this is the early... 2000 so like cell phones weren't as ubiquitous but michelle kind of weighed in on this too she thought it was bizarre behavior and that he i mean she kind of questioned like why did he need this money like lots of different organizations had kind of pitched in and printed flyers for them like you know the small costs that you don't think of when someone goes missing like money to print out a thousand flyers like it adds up 
she said that lots of people were helping out with that. So she doesn't know exactly why Bobby would need this money so readily. Yeah, 2001. But it can be confirmed that Bobby did purchase several cell phones around this time. But also uh, Bobby says he did not cancel the wedding. He postponed the wedding because with Nikki missing and the wedding only three weeks away, the wedding was obviously not going to go on as planned. So that's his side of the story. Yeah, that's his side of the story, which I mean, could be true again. It could be. It sounds like canceling the wedding might involve getting the deposit back or something like that. But he says nothing he did was for money. It was to help find Nikki. It could be both, too. It could be. He could also be upset. Like, if she had run away, obviously she didn't want to get married, right? Yeah, and just because people, like, get a bit greedy in these situations and see, like, small openings to, like, gain from a tragedy like this doesn't necessarily mean that he had anything to do with Nikki's disappearance if he like chose to capitalize on what that disappearance meant um then again it could so again could go either way what else was there about um Michelle's opinion towards Bobby uh she said she found it strange that Bobby was very concerned about his appearance when he appeared on camera yeah he seemed like kind of a vain guy she also described Nikki as not necessarily a flashy person, but one who was very concerned about her appearance too. Like she just wanted to present clean cut and everything. So maybe it was just something that they had in common that they, you know, wanted to dress nicely and appear professional. This could also be kind of an unconscious thing that happens when unfortunately people of color are forced into the situation where they need law enforcement's help. Like if if he presents himself as a clean-cut professional person, maybe law enforcement and the public is more apt to take his plead for help more seriously. Do you understand what I mean? Sure, that he's very aware of the perception that he could be putting out there. If it's the wrong image, maybe he's already seen the slow movement that's been happening in the very early period from when she uh, first disappeared and he wants to make sure that he's approaching it in the right way moving forward. And presenting himself as clean cut, yeah, that makes sense. And a thing here that's noted is Bobby insisted on washing Nikki's car for her in the middle of the night, right after her disappearance. And it does sound kind of strange, but also remember that Nikki wasn't driving her car. She was driving Bobby's car. So that wasn't the car that she was in when she disappeared or that was you know, dropped at Stephen's place. And he had claimed he promised Nikki that he would uh, wash it for her or, I guess, take it to get washed. Yeah, again, I don't mean to be like the defender of Bobby here, but grief comes out in strange ways. It's like he just wanted to uphold his promise to Nikki. Well, that could be true. I mean, if, you know, if he actually did tell her that before she went missing, you know, and she's only been late for a little while you know and you still said that you'd want to follow through with that for sure i mean then devil's advocate says perhaps he met nikki somewhere driving nikki's car and something happened in nikki's car and he's trying to get rid of evidence it's also noted here that michelle does not know bobby to ever have been a violent person and Michelle says that Bobby's family told him that Nikki must have run off on him. So you can see sort of like this divide that's already happening between the two parties. Um, even though he was described as 
controlling, that doesn't mean violent. And that's something that Michelle had told you, right? Yeah. But Nikki's family had to take him to court for Nikki's belongings. And Bobby also failed a lie detector test. More specifically, he failed the question that asked if he was responsible for Nikki's disappearance. Yeah, Michelle said that directly. I'm not sure if uh, the investigating officer relayed this information or if she actually saw uh, the polygraph report. But she said um, that, yeah, he definitely failed on a question that was directly related to Nikki's disappearance if he had any involvement. If the wording is exactly that, where they said, are you responsible for her disappearance? I could see somebody in his position thinking even subconsciously that, you know, had I been there with her, she wouldn't have disappeared. So in a way, I am responsible for it. Yeah, again, I I hate to read too much into polygraph examinations because there's a lot of unconscious stuff that comes up in these very fraught situations. Like, yeah, he could take that to mean like, of course, I'm like unconsciously, uh, you know, responsible for a disappearance. I didn't protect her, you know. And then April. April was the mother of Bobby's son. So she and Bobby had been on and off since high school when their son was born. And April supposedly hated Nikki and had harassed her for years. Yeah, I think uh, when she and Bobby were in high school together dating, um, April was like super jealous of Nikki, like even since high school. And um, they actually broke up because of April's harassment in high school. Yikes. April also harassed a girl at the mall that Bobby had dated. And that that young lady was so scared that she needed a police escort to go to work. Yeah, it seems like April was a really intense person and perhaps was a bit obsessive over Bobby. And that relationship continued, right? He, uh, apparently, Bobby had been unfaithful to Nikki with April over the years. After they were together in high school, they moved to California. So it sounds like this relationship that was probably super intense and and obviously volatile at times. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it gets a little unclear what was happening in Bobby's life when he went to California. But by 2001, um, both Bobby and April had come back to Richmond. And a friend of April's told Michelle that the key to finding her sister was to look at what Bobby left behind in California, possibly meaning that he left April behind. And Michelle also says that her family received a tip about a light-skinned black woman and a dark-skinned black man carrying a woman through a field around the time Nikki disappeared. The woman being carried had a jacket over her so her face couldn't be seen. And this description fits both April and Bobby. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so this field was apparently in Richmond, near the laundromat. This field, you said, was by the laundromat, and April's parents also had an apartment that was nearby that same laundromat. Well, uh, yeah, The so this field was like a few blocks down or even a couple streets away from the laundromat. April's parents had an apartment near the laundromat, but April herself had an apartment near the actual field where these two people were seen carrying the body. And Michelle says Bobby loved Nikki and does not believe that he would hurt her. But she does, however, believe that he could help cover up a crime if a loved one of his did harm Nikki. Yeah, it seems like Bobby and April had a really kind of checkered history together. It seemed like April had some sort of pull over him. 
So if it did kind of shake out that April had anything to do with Nikki, I'm not sure Bobby wouldn't. I mean, I don't think he would refuse to help April in this situation, even though it's his fiance that had been murdered. And Bobby always maintained his innocence. But he was one of the very few people who knew where Peyton's father lived and where the car was found. And when you introduce another character into the mix, then you have your secondary means of transportation if you were to drop a car off and and leave the, the location. But according to the report, he says Nikki was the love of his life and he's never fully moved on from losing her. And Peyton, who is an adult now and a child of her own, has a close relationship with Bobby and does not believe that Bobby is responsible for Nikki's disappearance. Yeah, and unfortunately we can't ask Bobby any more questions because he passed away pretty recently a couple months ago um, from a heart attack Um, and his obituary mentions that he was predeceased by his fiance Nikki McCown. The story weirdly doesn't end with Bobby and Stephen being the two suspects. In fact there's another person involved here and it really takes us down a whole other road in this case and a whole other possibility for someone who could have been involved with Nikki's disappearance. When a person goes missing, their loved ones often find themselves overcome with worry and grief. Bruce Maitland started the 501c3 nonprofit organization, Private Investigations for the Missing, because he knows this feeling all too well. When Bruce's daughter Brianna disappeared in March 2004, he was surrounded by licensed private investigators dedicated to finding her. Now his mission is to provide dedicated private investigators at no cost to other families of the missing, desperate for answers but without the financial means. Private Investigations for the Missing needs your help. To read the mission statement, make a donation, and keep up with our blog, visit us at investigationsforthemissing.org and follow us at PI for the Missing on Twitter and Facebook and Investigations for the Missing on Instagram. Because forever is too long to wait. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.